0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. The rapidly evolving digital technological landscape is bringing both an opportunity as well as a challenge for each and every component of a nation and government is no exception. Like every other component of a nation that is industries, organizations, academia, and individuals. The promise and expectations of a digital global age is pushing the governments at all levels across nations to deliver public services in a cost-effective, efficient, and accessible manner. Building a government, governance model, and framework that is fit for a digital global age requires each nation and its innovators to think beyond political ideology, divide, programmatic lines, and computer code. Innovators across many nations have already begun to experiment with ideas and innovations for better and effective data-centric digital governance model. To keep up with the pace of change in ideas, innovation and technology, each government at all levels, global, regional, national, local, need to securely architect their governance systems for interoperability at all levels, within, between and across nations geographical boundaries. A strong need for common standards across nations To produce and promote a governance model that is based on real data and not ideological agenda and wishful thinking and openness from conception to commercialization is a need of the digital global age. While the digital government and data centric governance model is a need of the time, it faces its biggest obstacle, politics. To discuss whether politics and politicians will empower, explore or create obstacles to a digital government. I'm delighted to welcome Professor Jack Pitney, a Claremont McKenna Professor of American Politics. Welcome, Professor Pitney. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Wonderful, Professor Pitney. So let me begin by uh, discussing these digital global fundamentals that the rapidly evolving digital global fundamentals are pushing each and every nation, its government, industries, organization, and academia, in short, refers to as NGIOA, to look for new ways to do things, develop new products and services, and come up with new ideas and innovation that would fit the digital global age. Should governments at all levels across nations also look for new ways to govern?
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, this Mm -hmm. is something that's been going on for some years. I remember in the late 1980s, it was a great innovation that certain local governments were able to set up tiny kiosks in the uh, middle of town to conduct uh, a limited amount of uh, business, now think people can do these things uh, on their smartphones. And that's uh, a a tremendous innovation in service delivery. The question that you pose, it goes beyond service delivery, beyond the posting of information to the very process of governance. And that's something that uh, political leaders around the world are studying. Right now, there's legislation before Congress to provide for virtual meetings of Congress where people do not even have to come to the Capitol building, but instead can take part in votes and deliberations uh, remotely from their districts. Uh, That has the advantage of making it more accessible to more people and uh, also provides uh, security in case that there is ever a physical threat Uh, to the capital. There are problems, uh, obviously, with uh, this proposal, and uh, members of Congress will debate those problems in the years ahead, but uh, it's a sign that uh, some political leaders are thinking about the way in which uh, the digital revolution can affect governance itself, not just the delivery of services.
0: Yes, no, that is a good sign that at least they have started thinking about it. So uh, that is always, you know, hope that, you know, uh, good decisions will come in the coming days. Now, the digital governance imperatives are fairly new and would largely be driven by technological innovations. Any nation can use digital tools and technologies to seize the golden opportunity and fundamentally change how their government services its citizens needs thereby building a digital framework and governance model that is fit for a digital global age and would better service citizens. By designing, building, and operationalizing an information and data-centric governance model, nations can architect their governance systems for efficient, effective, and uh, affordable services at a much faster speed. An effective and accessible government providing affordable services to its citizens should be a very welcoming idea to any nation's government or at any level. However, this does not seem to be the case at most levels, as you just said, that they have started thinking about it. But it is still not the mainstream. Only few lawmakers, as we see in the United States, they're talking about it. And across many nations, you don't see, you know, the discussion happening at all. There are a few nations that are actually, you know, thinking about this very seriously. So what are your thoughts on
1: that? Well, there are a number of obstacles here. Uh, first of which is uh, take the issue of transparency. There are a lot of political leaders around the world who really don't like a lot of transparency because they're doing things that they don't want the citizens to know about. Uh, and in the United States, this has been a problem for uh, Republican and Democratic leaders alike. Uh, also, there's some familiarity with technology. Uh, in uh, many countries, political leaders are of a certain age and they're really not used to the digital digital world. A uh, one dividing line, I suppose, is uh, uh, the year 1955, the year of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs' birth. Uh, politicians who are older than uh, currently 60 or so uh, are a lot less likely to adopt technology than younger ones. Uh, and then there are government workers and other interests who uh, have uh, uh, an incentive not to encourage. Uh, efficiency. There are people who benefit from a lack of efficiency, and this is true uh, around the world.
0: Yes, that is very true. That is true, you know, a, across any nation, in uh, all nations. So now the quality of digital services that nation's government provide will determine the reputation and trust as a governing institution fit for a digital global age. Now data-centric government means that governments respond to citizens' need and make it easy to find and share information and accomplish important tasks. It requires holding governments to a high standard of timely data, informative content, simple transactions, and seamless interactions that are easily accessible by the citizens. Now while the industries are moving at a full speed ahead towards a digital global age, the government seem to be in no rush to fill the gap to its development and evolution in a digital global age. But these also have serious challenges because now the security is no longer a government effort because of the digitalization of pretty much all industries and how we do things and especially our main systems like financial system and transportation systems and our critical infrastructure each and every sector of the nation, like that is our industries, organizations, academia, and government, they all have to be responsible for their own security, especially if you talk about digital security. And now digital security is tied to geosecurity as well as space security. So cyberspace, geospace, and space, they are all interconnected and interdependent and integrated now. So if uh, one component of a nation, that is government, is not well ahead or advanced, or, you know, at a place where it should be in the digitalization effort, then that is a challenge, and that is a cause of concern. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, You see uh, great innovations in, in the private sector, but government tends to lag, and that tends to be a drag and turn on the private sector, for example. Uh, In the private sector, if you want to uh, build a construction project, you need a variety of government approvals. And if government is slow in providing those approvals, then uh, the project will lag. And you see that over and over again in pretty much all countries and uh, all levels of uh, of private enterprise. Uh, One of the things I teach my students is the wide extent of activities uh, in the private sector that that are dependent in some way on government. And if government is lagging, that is going to have effects for the private sector as well.
0: Yes, very true. That is going to be the case. Now, nations that are moving towards digital governance will need to develop a process to manage the rising challenges and divide of diverse cultures processes and skill sets that are out of step with the technologically advanced data-centric era. Overcoming these barriers will be a key to the digital government of a digital global age. Now, while technology promises to overcome all these barriers and pretty much solve all big problems that you know each nation faces, will the political divide and politics let like technology overcome these barriers?
1: Well, there's only so much that uh, technology can do take the the Middle East conflict. Uh, Technology is not going to solve the problems uh, that lie between, say, the Palestinians and uh, the Israeli government. Uh, That is something that preceded and will follow uh, technology. Uh, But uh, technology can allow people within a country to communicate with each other and in some ways prevent misunderstandings and miscommunication. But ultimately, there are a lot of conflicts that aren't. Uh, matters of miscommunication, there are conflicts of basic interest that technology is not going to be able to overcome.
0: Uh, Well, that is partially true, I would say, I mean, uh, when the technology is allowing citizens of each nation to communicate with each other fairly openly, then a lot of these, you know, propaganda that is happening by certain, you know, groups who wants to stay in power and who doesn't allow certain, you know, peace process or other, you know, uh, initiatives to be successful, those will eventually fail. Well, yeah, it's not going to be overnight, but that will, you know, bridge the gap. And it, it's, impo- I mean, it's not just technology, but when, what happens is when, in addition to the technology, developing digital systems, developing a simultaneous effort in developing organization, frameworks, processes, tools, and technologies, that are also very important to make the, to have the technology have a positive impact across nations. And I mean, we have seen that early efforts to put computers in schools failed to result in performance improvements because they were not accompanied by fundamental changes in teaching matters that's due to the technology. The failed implementation of enterprise resources in many governments is another classic example of expectations falling short due to a failure in change processes or build cultures that foster change. Same goes for digital global age. If we have the technology, but if we don't have the associated ecosystem that is working together, then we are not going to see that change that that is happening. I think, you know, it, any major problem, I'm very hopeful that technology will be able to solve or at least facilitate, I would say, the, any, you know, major problem across nations. And we should be seeing a lot of positive changes across each and every nation, including, you know, Middle East conflict. I am positive that, you know, technology and communication channels, once they open up, it is going to bring a lot of positive change. So now let's move to other point. Any entity Any entity's digital maturity is influenced to a great degree by its digital strategy. Lack of strategy is the leading barrier impeding early stage organizations irrespective of of any component of a nation from taking full advantage of digital trends. The digital strategy needs to boost innovation and improve decision making. Now, the idea is that every domain of government should be able to deploy and use digital technologies in a manner that can increase the service level standards, improve interactions with citizens, and raise efficiency. Now, do governments strategize collectively to improve their governance model and framework?
1: Well, uh, that's a great question, and uh, it varies by country. In the United States, we have a federal system, uh, about 90,000 different governments in the United States, and coordination among those governments uh, is often difficult. Uh, What happens at the state level doesn't necessarily jive with what's happening at the federal level, and this is true uh, of a number, number of countries throughout the world as well. Uh, and as far as strategy goes, you put your finger on the problem. It isn't simply a matter of dropping uh, technology on somebody's desk and expecting that that's going to bring about change. Uh, it involves hu- the human factor as well, teaching people how to use the technology. And, and it's not just being able to enter the right commands. It's knowing how to use the technology, how to integrate the digital world into the way one thinks about problems. And this is something that starts uh, in the schools. Uh, For example, uh, access to technology, of course, is a problem of inequality in the United States and elsewhere. But it's not just access. It's being able to use it correctly, uh, knowing how to do a search, knowing how to get information, knowing how to evaluate the information. Uh, and all of these things are elements that have to go into a true digital strategy. It goes far beyond the hardware.
0: Yes. Very, very true. Education and awareness is very important at all levels, you know, starting from elementary school to probably adult schools, I would say, you know, because everyone needs uh, to be educated about the technological change that are coming up. Now, the exponential changes that drive digital transformation challenge the established models of leadership, politics, and governance. In the new digital era, leaders are required to make decisions more quickly in the face of a constant evolution in the art of the possible. For public sector agencies across nations, the hierarchies and governance structures are often more pronounced than in the private sector. Trying to change is not easy and will not be easy. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, the uh, key word there is hierarchy. And if the people at the top of the hierarchy uh, aren't uh, thinking in a digital way, there's going to be miscommunication and losses of opportunities uh, to take full advantage. And uh, I think just about everybody who's worked in a large organization can think of examples of uh, people at the lower levels being totally fluent in technology, uh, but not being able to get that message across to the people at the top. Uh, And uh, that is a problem that will eventually get better as uh, the rising generation moves into uh, positions of leadership. But it's always going to be uh, a problem, to put it bluntly. Older people are going to be uh, uh, a little more behind the times with technology than than younger people.
0: um, That is very true. But at the same time, it is also not necessary that each and every individual is technologically savvy. Like we don't need to learn each and every technology. We don't need to uh, understand each and every technology, but we need to have a vision that how can we use this technology or the digital landscape to be able to do things in a different way. And that is necessary. So probably lawmakers and you know, our political leaders, they don't need to be technologically savvy. They just need to have a vision that how can we change the current governance model Using this technology and the digitalization processes, information communication technology, how can we do things in a different way? And that vision they could easily have because they have so much experience. They are the best people to expedite this process. They know what things are not working. They know how to, you know, make things simpler or how to make it affordable. They would know that. So they they don't need to be going back to school to understand technology. They just need to have a proper vision, I would say that.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, It's not necessary to be able to operate every program, but to have a general idea. Uh, of the potential of uh, technology and what it can and cannot do. Uh, And uh, if leaders are able to do that, we'll be in much better condition.
0: That is very true. Now, it is said that innovation and collaboration thrive in digitally maturing organizations. Now, if digital culture is, uh, it, it seems that it is weaker in the defense industry, energy industry, and law and justice sectors. It seems these are the sectors that focuses on critical public services where there is very low tolerance for error, especially, you know, you would say that in defense and energy sector because of the critical infrastructure, especially if you look at the energy sector and defense, you know, uh, is a whole uh, another ballgame. So these there are reports that they are less willing to experiment and slower to innovate and collaborate using digital technologies, which could be because they have foster risk-averse cultures that make innovation and experimentation very hard to achieve. Now, while the hesitance is ground that you know because these are very sensitive, you know, sectors of our uh, nation, and without uh, having a secured energy infrastructure or a, defense, or a defense infrastructure, it would be a lot of problem, you know, for a nation. So. How without, uh, how would the uneven digitalization progress uh, will create complex security challenges? It seems that if they, these industry sectors don't, uh, you know, digitalize and, you know, don't keep up with the digital global age, then there would be uneven uh, progress and that would be a problem. That is a cause of concern. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, one problem is uh, competition. Industries that are highly competitive uh, face pressure to innovate. Uh, the classic bottle of course here is Amazon. Uh, Amazon always has to be on the alert for uh, other retailers coming online, and they are constantly improving their uh, performance and services. The same is not true of the, uh, the industries that you mentioned, certainly not true of government. Government doesn't face the same kind of competition as a, as a private industry. So uh, in the past week, for instance, uh, I ordered some uh, items on Amazon. They arrived promptly, just as, uh, as promised. On the other hand, I was trying to take care of a, uh, uh, of a traffic ticket, and uh, it took <laughs> a
0: very, very long time. That is true. So that's,
1: that... that's a good illustration of the difference between the two realms.
0: Yes, very true. No, those are good examples. You are right about that. Now, political leaders trying to drive change always face competing priorities. In particular, many struggle to find a balance between transformation and survival, as most government organizations like the strategy or will to achieve digital transformation. Now, while strategy forms the bedrock of the transformation process, the lack of political will across the public sector is a cause of concern as the government will fall behind in the critical digital global aid skills. And this itself is a critical security risk. Now, while we all acknowledge that, you know, everyone wants to, you know, save their jobs and their, you know, careers, But this is a matter of nation survival. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, sure, we need leaders who, number one, understand uh, in a general way uh, the current state of technology, but also understand the stakes, particularly when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, They hear stories about hacking and they think, oh, that's a bad thing, but they don't understand uh, the necessity for strategic thinking uh, embedded in all the decisions they make to prevent threats to cybersecurity and to take advantage uh, of all the opportunities that technology presents. Uh, and that's a, an issue of mindset, I think, as generational change takes place, we'll get uh, more leaders who understand uh, the challenge. But right now, uh, people who have an interest in this field just have a, an obligation to speak out, especially, especially when it comes uh, to cybersecurity. Uh, yes. We've had some horror stories of uh, officials high in the United States government uh, who really didn't have this sensitivity. And as a result, uh, we've had enormous problems with security breaches.
0: Yes, very true. We, uh, I mean, there are times where, you know, in, even industries and not only governments, even industry, they do not know, even businesses within any industry, that they have been hacked or there had been cyber, you know, attack on their entity or organization. So because we don't have, we still don't have effective tools that would let you know that, okay, you are under attack. And uh, if we don't have, if we don't keep up with the technology, very rapidly changing technological landscape, then it is a problem. And as you said, uh, the mindset, the lack of uh, uh, digital mindset customer focus open functionality and agile development these are all the things uh, that public sector organizations uh, you know are facing you know constant challenges within the culture changing that culture is a very challenging aspect especially you know if you want to manage the transition to digital global age do you think that we'll be able to effectively uh, change the political culture or the mindset in a reasonably, you know, short period of time to be able to benefit from the advances of the digitalization process as far as government is concerned. Well, there
1: also has to be some uh, push from the electorate. Uh, Ordinary voters need to be talking about this and thinking about this and say, uh, why aren't you doing a better job in this respect? And uh, we need to have a discussion of that uh, at the presidential level. Uh, in the United States and at the leadership level in other countries. Uh, And um, it's not necessarily encouraging in the United States where we have a a major presidential candidate who says, all I know is what I see on the Internet. That's obviously not somebody who understands uh, how to make selective use and wise use uh, of all the information that's out there and distinguish it from the misinformation.
0: Yes, very true. And I mean, it's very interesting that in the primary process, you just do it's uh, completely absent. This whole topic of cyberspace or cybersecurity or digitalization is just not there. And that's very interesting because neither of uh, any of the political uh, presidential contender is talking about it. So that's very interesting. Now, digital transformation is more, than just technology implementation. It requires seeing old problems and old processes with new eyes. Now, while there are several characteristics that tend to be common to the organizations that get digital, like open functionality, co-creation, a laser focus on users and customers, and an agile way of thinking, there are reports that these characteristics have yet to become ingrained in most government agencies across nations. Now, will the political mindset ever let like, the digital mindset establish? I mean, we are probably talking the same issue, you know, in several different uh, forms, because this is, uh, from every angle you try to see, you see so much, you know, political obstacle that would be there to make anything happen. So, do you think that we would ever be able to uh, have the digital mindset established across, you know, political spectrum at any level?
1: I think so. Of course, uh, I'm afraid it may take a major disaster, a uh, a digital equivalent, so to speak, of Pearl Harbor, where uh, people wake up one day and find out their bank accounts have been wiped out. Uh, That could happen. And that certainly would get people's attention, but it would be happening Mm -hmm. too late. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, people anticipate those kind of problems and put pressure on political leaders uh, to prevent them from happening in the first place. Uh, We'll just have to see how that works out.
0: That is true, I mean, uh, uh, those kind of disasters are happening. Some of them, I mean, we recently saw almost $1 billion hacking, you know, for the Bangladesh Bank. Uh, And there are a lot of other, you know, places also, These kind of major disasters are happening. Some are uh, not coming to the, you know, information is not shared in a transparent manner because there are a lot of challenges in sharing the information. So we are not able to come to know all of those, you know, disasters that are happening across private and public, you know, uh, sectors, but they are happening. And this is a serious, uh, you know, it's a very critical risk and it's a cause of concern, but uh, people needs to be more educated. The, that's the reason we have started this ground up so we can talk about these kind of challenges. This kind of risks that are you know everyone is facing across nations, is government industries, organizations, and academia. And we can have uh, we can try to create awareness about these critical challenges uh, now to achieve digital transformation. Governments need to make the overall process of developing and delivering services more open than it is now, and users will need to be involved from the beginning and throughout the development and deployment journey of any software or any technology to outline what needs to be achieved with users at each point of development. Now we're embracing the overall idea of doing more agile development than governments are used to is possible because you know if if we remember how the healthcare initiative, even just to develop the healthcare portal, how many challenges we went through and how many retakes had to, you know, they had the government had to do to just have a very successful or fairly successful digital portal for the healthcare.
1: That's right. And uh, the challenge for government is not to think from the top down, from the bottom up. Uh, that is, what is the experience of the citizen? What is the experience of the person using this service? You want to get information about healthcare. care. Uh, is it going to be available in a way that's simple, understandable, workable, and doesn't crash? Uh, and that's true across the entire range of services. Uh, for example, here in the state of California in the United States, Uh, the, uh, Secretary of State's office provides a good deal of information, but at least until recently, it's not been in a format that most people could use. And it's very difficult to understand the data are not, uh, organized properly. We have a new Secretary of State who's trying to fix the problem. Uh, but, uh, one would think that California would be a leader in, uh, in digital governance, but, uh, unfortunately we're actually a laggard.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Why, why do you think uh, California is lagging behind in this?
1: Well, we have leadership in Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley isn't that far geographically from Sacramento, the state capital, but it might as well be a thousand miles away. Uh, we just haven't had the, uh, the kind of laser-like focus that you mentioned on technology. We have a, uh, a leadership that has other priorities.
0: I see. I see. I mean, that is very strange because uh, you would think that because Silicon Valley is there that, you know, this state of California would be well ahead and, you know, they would probably lead in the digitalization effort or, you know, trying to build a model that is fit for digital global age, but it's not happening. So obviously there is a divide. I mean, uh, the, every everybody's working in silos, you know, even within a sector or within a, you know, nation. Each component of the nation is developing at its own pace. There is no communication. There is no collaboration, cooperation. So those are all very serious challenges. And uh, hopefully, you know, there is some collective effort, uh, collaborative effort to you know advance and progress in a digital global age that makes sense for each state for each nation Uh, And they need to study this collectively. So let's see, you know, how that shapes up But uh, while government agencies tend to focus on securing internal buying rather than on delivering to customer needs That is the citizens. The big change in a digital global age is the customer and data focus And you just said that, you know, uh, some nation, I mean governments are, you know, not functioning top-down They try to uh, look at the their clients that is the citizens and they you know base their decisions uh, you know accordingly but you are right that you know so citizens if you look at it uh, across any nation they are not all technologically savvy or uh, even understanding technology in a proper way. Not everyone has internet, not everyone has, you know, capability to have smartphones or to get things, you know, uh, takes uh, get to the internet in an efficient manner. So those are the challenges. So uh, would government, uh, I, I can understand some of the hesitance on the government side, but uh, Looking at all these different variables. Do you think government will ever be customer centric? I mean focusing on the citizens of the you know nation or a state or you know even the local governments Do you think that they take decisions looking at the customers that is their citizens?
1: well Part of it is that there's a difference between the status of customer and the status of citizen. The status of customer is temporary. It's voluntary. One can move from one business to another very easily in many cases. Status of citizen is different. It's uh, it's more or less permanent. And it involves uh, serious obligations on the part of a citizen that a, a customer just doesn't have. So it's a different kind of relationship. Nevertheless, there are many ways in which government can act more like a business when it comes to the delivery of services, the delivery of information, and that really is, uh, is the challenge. Some of this might be accomplished in certain cases by privatization, uh, by contracting out services to the private sector. Obviously, there are problems with privatization. It's not going to work for every government function. Uh, But it's an alternative that governments at all levels and in all countries at least ought to consider.
0: Yes. No, you, you made a very good point about privatization. I think there are a lot of different services that government provides that can be very effectively privatized. And that could be a way to go. Now, there are also reports that about one in five government agencies in Belgium and New Zealand They engage their citizens in co-creating digital services to a significant level. So the efforts have already started. United States is way behind in this. So that is very surprising, though. Now, to deliver digital transformation, public sector organizations need to access a robust and innovative technology marketplace. But nation's procurement capabilities fall well short of what's necessary to make that happen. Looking at the United States, how do you think that can, that gap can be
1: filled? Well, people have been looking at this for some time. If you go back more than 20 years, uh, the reinventing governance, uh, government initiative of President Clinton and Vice President Gore uh, addressed uh, procurement as one of their top priorities. Uh, they emphasized uh, as much as possible uh, built, uh purchasing goods off the shelf, things that were available in the commercial sector and adaptable to government. Uh, One problem is uh, there are certain government services for which this is not possible in the defense industry, for example. uh, There's no private uh, equivalent to intercontinental ballistic missiles, for example. Those are things that are uh, only bought by governments. Uh, nevertheless, with the, uh, keeping in mind those exceptions, um, there are many ways in which government should, uh, as much as possible, go for the off-the-shelf uh, purchases and uh, adopt the procurement practices of private industry. Again, uh, there are political problems here. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made in contracting, and where there's money in government, there is political pressure uh, and political influence. And this is something we see in the United States and in every other democracy.
0: Yes, no, that is very, very true. And I mean, we all acknowledge that procurement needs to change significantly or very significantly to accommodate digital transformation. And agencies may not necessarily need an in-house development team, but it is critical that they have a procurement specialist who can effectively monitor work done by vendors. And there are a lot of you know, things we can outsource. We can outsource development of services, including maintenance and upgrade. So there are some things we can effectively change without you know, having that political uh, obstacles or ch- challenges. You know, And uh, that is something uh, the right people needs to take a look at. Now, there are reports that when it comes to the digital world, governments have traditionally placed political policy and system needs ahead of the people who require service. Is that a fair assessment if you look at the United States?
1: I think it's, uh, it's often true. In the uh, United States, you have very powerful public employee unions in many places, and uh, they're quite open that their, uh, their goal is uh, the material interest of their members. That's true of labor unions around the world. Uh, uh, the trouble is sometimes uh, citizens get left behind. Uh, you have wealthy businesses benefiting from, uh, from government largesse, from government contracts. Uh, you have uh, an enormous interest group universe, and people who aren't as well represented in that, uh, that system uh, don't necessarily get the services they want. Uh, this is an ongoing uh, political problem throughout uh, the, uh, the developed world, throughout democracies. And uh, people are aware of it, and uh, we're seeing political movements uh, to address it. And uh, the uh, years ahead are going to be very, very interesting uh, in election returns in the United States and elsewhere.
0: Yes, yes, you know that is true. Now there is a growing concern that says that governments across nations, not just in you know, one government, they are pretty good at thinking about their own needs, puts its own need first, and that they often put their political needs followed by the policy needs, the actual role of governance comes second. The third then generally becomes the system needs, that is IT or any other system that they're working on. And then the user or the citizens comes very, very last. Now the reality of the current state to the desired and goal of a digital global age or a data-centric governance seems to be two opposite corners. How will we bridge the gap?
1: Well, there's uh, the old joke that uh, politicians believe in the greatest good for the greatest number, and to them, the greatest number is good old number one. Uh, Bridging the gap uh, depends on responsibility on the part of citizens. uh, By placing these concerns at the top of the agenda, by voting on them, by electing officials uh, who place an emphasis on uh, strategic digital thinking, on increasing access, increasing equality. Uh, of access and use of technology. Uh, so some of this is the responsibility of, uh, of electorates throughout the world to uh, appraise officials on the basis of their performance and make it in those officials' interests uh, to uh, to think strategically and to be responsive to the uh, demands of the digital age.
0: I mean, you, you are absolutely right about this strategic thinking. I mean, even if you look at the private industries, the strategic thinking that the strategic risk assessment is pretty much absent. If even if you look at major, you know, corporations, big corporations, uh, that is not there. The the thing, the thought process that okay, with this change of the cyberspace, what kind of change it would happen to the business models or the way we do things, the way we develop products or services, how it is going to change. People are just not thinking, even in private sector. So talk about public sector, it is just non-existent. I mean, right now, to this is just cyberspace that we are talking about the technological tsunami that's coming our way because of the converging technologies. That means the integration of artificial intelligence, robots, nanotechnology, and uh, all other, you know, information technology. The, um, the rapid changes in technology that will come our way, it is going to bring fundamental transformation. So many jobs will be lost. Artificial intelligence is going to bring very transformative changes across each and every nation. And if we don't have that strategic thinking that how is it going to impact our industries, how it is going to impact our businesses, our economy, how is it going to impact our different models? then we would be in a big trouble because we will just not be ready for that. So that is a cause of serious concern, you know, to me and, you know, to uh, many like me who are thinking about the, the strategic risks, the, you know, critical risks that are coming our way.
1: Yeah, and uh, some of this, as you, uh, as you mentioned, is going to involve a great deal of candor on the part of polit- political leaders. Uh, there are some political leaders who visit Rust Belt towns and say, we're going to bring back manufacturing jobs. Uh, and in many cases, those promises are empty. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Uh, we're, we're just not going to go back to the, uh, the belching steel mills that we had in, in the 1950s. Nice. And political leaders who, uh, who suggest they are are just uh, not being honest. Uh, So we need uh, candor uh, as to the uh, promise of technology, but also acknowledging that it's a transition that's going to be painful, Uh, but there's no really no alternative to that. It's between uh, adapting to the transition and trying to uh, on the one hand and trying to resist it on the other, which will have uh, uh, really bad consequences for the economy and ultimately for the people who uh, whom they're uh, trying to help.
0: Yes, very true. I mean, it would be nice for these political leaders or trying to be political leaders if they. I mean, when they say that we'll bring the old manufacturing jobs back, instead of that, if they say, if they're educated enough to understand that, you know, uh, there is a possibility that we can bring molecular manufacturing, we can bring a very high, you know, level of manufacturing back in the United States. Why would you want to bring the old technology or old industries back? which are dying industries. We want to have new emerging industries that could fundamentally change the landscape of our nation. So it's very interesting that their advisors are not understanding where the industries are going and what kind of changes are coming their way. If they knew that molecular manufacturing, you know, is coming our way or, you know, these rapid conversions, the technological uh, super conversions that's coming our way, how it would change our nation, our industries, if they understood that, they would be talking different tunes and they would be educating the public in a better Way so this fear that and panic that we see across nations, even in the United States, a lot of people are very fearful about what is going to happen to our nation's economy. Then they would feel little more at peace that you know our country will be okay. We will have these new industries, emerging industries are shaping up, which would you know fundamentally change our nation's course, and you know, it would be a positive course. So I wish that those things were there, but they are not there. So that is very unfortunate. Now, there are some people who say that the main disadvantages concerning digital govern- government is a lack of equality in public access to the internet, reliability of information on the web and hidden agendas of government groups that could influence and bias public opinions. There are many considerations and potential implications of implementing and designing digital government including disintermediation of the government and its citizens, impact on economic, social, and political factors, vulnerability to cyber attacks and cybersecurity and disturbances to the status quo in all these areas. Now, are nations prepared for this kind of disturbance? I mean, I was just telling you about uh, the technological superconvergence that's coming our way, the artificial intelligence, what kind of changes it would bring. Even private industries are not thinking very seriously in that direction, and public, uh, you know, Agencies are not thinking at all, so if nations, if governments and their agencies are not thinking about the strategic changes that are coming their way, how would they prepare themselves for this kind of disturbance?
1: A lot of it depends on uh, education and uh, you know, it's a cliche to say that that's essential to our future, but it's never been more true. Uh, people need education, not just narrowly in computer technology, but across a wide array of disciplines, because as you say, they're interconnected. People have to have a basic understanding of genetics, a basic understanding of, uh, of physics, a basic understanding of math and computer science, because all of these developments are converging. Uh, and to understand the uh, issues, to understand the decisions that people are going to have to be facing in the uh in the years ahead people need a basic understanding uh, of the underlying science
0: yes very true they do yeah, and they do need that understanding and unfortunately even you know when you look at universities that is still you know not there but universities if you look at across nations you know there are many many universities and you talk to faculty a lot of them are not even themselves educated enough to understand what kind of changes they would bring. I recently had been on a trip to India to give my talk at several universities, and some of the universities, I was so shocked that the faculties, the deans, they had absolutely no idea of what, what I was talking about. And that is really a cause of concern if the faculty, if the education, educators, if they are not aware of what changes are coming you know uh, in the, across their nations or to their nations way then how would they prepare the next generation that is the students that you know these changes are coming and you be prepared for that
1: that's right and uh the uh the consequences of uh, these technological changes are far reaching take uh advances in uh, medical technology uh those advances uh, have the promise of extending longevity, which is wonderful, Uh, however, uh, greater longevity brings challenges of its own. In the United States, the Social Security system will have to uh, pay for more years of retirement for more people, and that's going to put strain on the system, and something similar is going to happen in nearly every country in the world, and we have to be able to take a holistic view uh, of these developments to see how they're interrelated. Uh, and that, of course, takes better education.
0: Yes, and you, you made the right point that we do need to take a holistic view. We cannot any longer function in silos. There needs to be a collective effort and there needs to be that collective view. So hopefully you know, we reach there someday. Now, opponents of digital government argue that online government services or digital uh, you know, services or transparency, that government transparency is dubious because it is maintained by the governments themselves. Information can be added or removed from the public eye without even uh, public being aware of that. To the de- to this day, very few organizations monitor and provide accountability for these modification or changes online or you know even offline. Even the government themselves do not always keep track of the information they insert and delete, even in the physical world that is geospace or in the cyberspace. What are your thoughts on that? How would we ever know? Uh there needs to be
1: watchdogs, uh, both within the government and the private sector. Uh, there are many cases where uh, transparency uh, is lacking, where the information isn't, uh, isn't put uh, online in the first place, and sometimes it goes missing, or sometimes <laughs> it's not arranged in a way that anybody can make sense of it. Uh, and so uh, government needs watchdog organizations in the United States, there's the Government Accountability Office, there are inspectors general in the major federal agencies. But we also need uh, very smart people in the private sector uh, who keep an eye on this. For, uh, to take one small example, there's a website, uh, which tracks the tweets that are deleted by public officials. Uh, that's, uh, that's a very small thing and often very humorous, but it's, uh, it's a sign of something that could be done in a more serious way. People uh, independently keeping track of what government, uh, not only is posting, but what government is deleting and, uh, finding a way to, uh, uh, to make a permanent record of that, even though it's not on a, any longer on a public government website.
0: Mm, that would be interesting, wouldn't that? <laughs> now, digital government, this is uh, the last question, Professor Pitney. You have, I have taken so much of your time. You, It's all early morning in California and you are just starting your day. And I know how busy you are with this uh, primary season going on. And I don't, we really appreciate that you, you know, agreed to come on risk roundup and share your thoughts on something as sensitive as politics and political leaders, because uh, many people are not uh, comfortable talking about politics and the uh, political obstacles that anything any initiative could face. You know across nations so uh, we appreciate that and digital government allows citizens to interact with computers to achieve objectives at any time and at any location and eliminates the necessity for physical travel to government agents sitting behind desk and windows to get things done this will help make government smaller leaner more efficient more effective more affordable and that should be welcoming and uh, hopefully we we would see that day in United States, but do you think that, uh, I mean, we talked about it that, you know, why politicians and political leaders would uh, not uh, work on these changes, you know, uh, as rapidly as we would like them to, you know, do it, but because of the, you know, their survival needs and their, you know, uh, sustainability as a politicians or political leaders or their power. So a lot of changes, you know, would ha- have to happen if we want to have this kind of digital government and many people are not comfortable, but uh, hopefully We will reach that day, and what are your thoughts? That you know, if we talk only about United States, that we would see those days that you know where government and industries work together and side by side instead of in silos and take collective decisions, take look at you know everything in a holistic manner for the benefit of the nation.
1: Oh, I think we'll get there. There are a lot of uh, uh, problems along the way uh, in the private sector. People losing jobs, and naturally. Uh, that change is frightening. Uh, In the public sector, a switch to more efficient services will cost jobs for people in the public sector. There's no way around that. Uh, But I'm very hopeful that uh, as people become more familiar and more fluent in technology, that their demands on the government are going to shift, that they're going to be thinking in this way, uh, that they're going to be rethinking what government can do and uh, how services should be delivered and how political leaders should make decisions uh, and all of this is a change that's underway and it's a very exciting time to be alive to watch this change underway
0: yes it is a time of change and it is a very exciting i'm mean, here absolutely right now the computer code connected computers internet and information communication and digitalization technology is fundamentally transforming how we conduct our business and live our daily lives. Exponential advances in computing power, the rise of high-speed digital networks, and the growing mobile revolution puts the entire cyber ecosystem at our fingertips. It has unleashed new innovations, spawned new industries, and are reshaping the existing industries. The time has come to define and design a digital government, one that is efficient, effective, affordable, and focused on improving the delivery of services to its citizens. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very purpose to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, is government, industries, organizations, academia, in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and to discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also of the coming technological superconvergence. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats, and peace to the management of conflict. Risk management is related to the management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict, and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feeding into each other, we believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or to hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgrouplc.com. Do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm J.H.D. Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.